this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Oh, sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Explosion! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on Popcorn Talk, the online movie network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie related. This is Action Movie Anatomy, and I am your host, Ben Bateman, joined today by the all. I call you wonderfully dressed every week. I gotta come up with something better. How about the man in the black tie, Andrew Guy? I feel like that's worse than really? the other. I'd rather be wonderfully dressed. It's factually correct. Can we start over? Can we do this again? <laughs> we roll I, it again. <laughs> you have to say something about the purple, though. It's got to be. It's vibrant. I always, purple person. I always do. I yeah. usually reference so the color pink of the shirt. purple. Hi guys, happy to be here. Excited to talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> guys, if you watch this show, you know we love her. She is excellent. And we say the best, but I didn't want to offend Steph Z. The long pause was just so painful, though. It was like, what's going to come out? I thought we were going to talk about Emily Blunt. We love Emily Blunt. We talk about her frequently. We have Roxy Stryer. Roxy Stryer. Thank you guys for having me back. I really appreciate it. Oh, we're so excited. And I agree. Steph Z is the best. So I'll I'll take second place to her anyway. She is great. Fun piece of trivia, guys. We have done, including today's film, Minority Report, starring Mr. Tom Cruise from 2002. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. Oh, you, you, you have to listen to me. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we have done six Tom Cruise movies on the show now, I believe. Or is it five? Mission Impossible? Five. We've done Mission Impossible 3, 4, 5, Edge of Tomorrow. And this movie. And this film. Hilariously enough, Steph Z and Roxy Stryer have accounted for all of the appearances. Yes. Ooh, Every right. Tom Cruise appearance. She's beating me right so now a little bit. Three episodes. Episodes. Yeah. Uh, so today, guys, we were doing Minority Report. Which is funny. Oh, sorry. Go adapted Philip K. Dick novel of uh, different name. No, I guess the original story was called The Minority Report, but this is O2. This is right sort of in the transition of Cruise's career from trying to win an Oscar to I'm just going to do action movies and be really good at that. And uh, it's awesome. We loved it. We're very excited to talk about it. So I think we're gonna we're gonna queue up the trailer, and then we'll talk about the show's context and, and this, that, and the other. 
It's funny. We always talk about how we're going to try to stay away from Cruz. It's impossible. You guys, you say you're going to try to stay away? Well, because there was that that stretch where we did two Cruz movies in a row with four and five. And it was just like the audience is like, really? And we had done three like a couple months prior. And we just talked about them a lot. So... I think this is like our audience, like one of the comments on iTunes was like more like Tom Cruise anatomy. Whammy. And like, <laughs> he's a huge part of the action scene. The canon. Yeah, yeah. he is. I, I get why you guys are always cruising. Ben has yeah. a poster okay? of Cruise on his ceiling. That was very good. How, how about when he walks into his house and there's there's one that he kisses on his way there in? Is that's, that's a true guys, story. That's, that's not true. That's, that's a, a true story. That's an actual <laughs> true story it's about not, Ben Bateman. It's not so You don't like him that much. No. Cruise? Yeah. Yeah, he's cool. He's, he's whatever. Right. He's yeah. whatever. He's whatever. So interesting thing about this trailer. Um, Roxy was just on recently and did the Born Identity plug for the show. You guys should check it out. Uh, this is another trailer from within that, like, two or three years. They're all kind of exactly the same. Yeah. They start out, and it's like, scene, 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 and then it's like, text across the screen, right? Watch here. It's going to be like, mm. we start. It's like, we can see the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The future can, can be seen. seen. <laughs> and then it's like, scene, 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 illustrate what we're talking about. Scene, 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 what we're and then it'll give us another one. You know what I thought about it? And the reason that I think it's so like strange and seems so out of place when they do it in these trailers? Murder. Is because everything else that you see in here is, is in the movie. Yes. But the writing is like just this kind of cheap construct. That right. Well, now what they do is they take like they take lines that people deliver throughout the piece. Exactly. And they use that in the trailer instead of just like, I want to write something. Why do we have a voice for the writing? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Like it just popped up. The system can't be wrong. Like yeah. there's a line that said that. Yeah, like, just, yeah. just put yeah, that. Just put do that. Saying it. Uh, I kind of, I kind of like it though. No, no, it no, makes it you, a little more intense. Do you know what would happen nowadays if this was made and they would? Because at this point, they figured out how to do cruise trailers. Mm-hmm. They have lines in the movie yeah, would delivered be. that are not actually in the movie for right. the trailer. Oh yeah, it's like so from outtakes. And they stuff. would, they would literally have crews go into a sound booth, and this would start out. And it would be the thing, and then it'd be like. The future. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Be seen. That's how the that's how the trailer would start. How do I get a pair of those gloves that he wears? Yeah, they're sweet. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Uh, is Cruz underrated? No, absolutely, he's not underrated. This movie is though. This movie is. Uh, now, okay. Be part of my fist pump. What just I mean, happened? Did you get a tweet or something? Or oh, it's, you, our, it's just, our live feed. Oh, yeah. I thought it just popped into your head. Like, my quick brain. question for you guys: <laughs> Is Cruz underrated? <laughs> Yeah, so it's not a terrible trailer. Honestly, it's uh, it's difficult to make a bad Steven Spielberg trailer just because... It's Steven Spielberg. He, visually, he's kind of a master, so there's so much good that you can throw into the trailer here. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to jam a bunch of the cool scenes together and have it be bad, but definitely the text component is kind of bad, and it feels yeah. for, fairly It's not dated. as bad as the Matrix trailer, though. I mean, the Matrix, the Born Identity, Gladiator, this movie, they're all out of all them, Born Identity is the worst. Do you guys remember when this trailer came out, though, feeling like you didn't like it? No. That's the no. thing, is that at the time, all of the trailers were fine. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I still think the Gladiator trailer's fine. So we're going to get into this in just a second. That was the trailer from Minority Report, guys. We do action movies on this show. They adhere to four basic rules. Aside from coming out after 1981, the four rules are, number one, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, or things, or beings, or aliens, or dinosaurs in the room. Rule number two, the hero and the... 
No, the hero always plays by his own rules is rule number one, but they can be reversed. It doesn't matter. Rule number three, the hero is always a police, military, or political (laughs) figure. And then rule number four, there's at least one explosion. I think this movie has all of them. Yeah. Uh, The only thing would be that the villain, who's the the smartest? Yeah, I definitely think he's the smartest. Yeah, he's he's like, oh, dude, he's orchestrated this entire thing. Was the question, do you think he's the villain, or was the question, is he the smartest? smartest. The first question is, there's, there's two people that could be the villain, but in the end, he's the real villain. And then, is he the smartest guy in the room? Or he faked a murder right after it had happened. Yeah, he didn't fake hurt. it. He actually well, murdered. I mean, well, yeah. yeah, well, he faked the first one. And spoiler alert: he kills Colin Farrell, who's like sort of the other smartest Wait, guy. <laughs> yeah. um, were, but were you calling him the potential other villain? No, I was just pondering for saying he was the smartest guy. Mm. That's all. But yeah, he is. You're right. He is. So, yeah. so um, all right. So the, and so the Farrell. Farrell. If you were going to call Farrell the, the, the villain, he's also. I mean, like he gets killed by by Burgess, but so he, he's not the smartest guy. Yeah, but he, he is. Killed. But he also figures out everything right then, right after that know? point. But he doesn't yeah. figure out that it's him. Yeah, but he, he if he doesn't figure out it's him, then he's not the smartest guy because he got outsmarted. But he's not looking for him <laughs> as the bad guy. The hero is Tom Cruise, and he gets he essentially gets him fired from his job. Right. And then he figures out the whole plot. Well, that's why it fits killed. in the guidelines, because he's not the hero or the villain, so we don't care how smart he is. Exactly. We're debating the rules, guys, and we frequently break them, so uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. If you watch the show, then you know we have a good time, and I think it pretty much hits the rules. So uh, we are going to get into our fist pumps and our, and our thesis statements. <laughs> I'm done. I'm quitting the show. I'm done. Um, but what I do want to say really quickly before we do this is this movie, incidentally, is coming out at this. This review is coming out at the same time as the show, Minority yeah. Report, which is... Is it Incidentally? I feel, like, I feel like it was very well so planned by you guys. So maybe there's a reason we did Minority <laughs> Report this week. Coincidentally. Um, no, Is we, there a show? Yeah, there's a show. It's on Fox. Uh, it's the, the first episode starts out with basically like the plot of this movie. And then it opens up with one of the like the brothers from the, the Proton Goo being like this guy who's trying to solve murders. Honestly, I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. But... It just premiered, and we are doing an AfterBuzz TV, our sister network here to Popcorn Talk, an AfterBuzz TV after show that is going to be on, what, Mondays? Mondays at 7. 7 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and you guys should check that out if you want to check out the show, if you want to watch the, what what have you, and, and if you want to do this movie, because this is obviously a great, like, launch pad into the show, then you can do both. So please do that, as well as check out the other shows on Popcorn Talk. Uh, there's a show called Anatomy of a Movie, which is on Fridays. They cover brand new releases every single week. It's very similar to our format. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit more in-depth with kind of not as many games that we play on this show. But uh, that's awesome. And then lastly, guys... Plug we have my been, show. Plug my say, popcorn gotta, talk oh, show. Oh, DC oh, Movie oh. News. And then Roxy... He kept looking time, at me like you was going to plug You're on here, he's like, there's Marvel Movie News, and that's it. That's the only <laughs> other show on the whole network. <laughs> like, I have a show. It's on this network. Guys, God damn it, There's a baby. great show. It's called Marvel Movie News. Are you guys going to see Deadpool? I'm going to... No. Uh, Roxy does one called DC Movie News. She's very passionate about it. Roxy, do you want to just talk about it yourself? Yeah, I love that show. And um, we tape Thursdays at 2.45 frequently sometimes we tape at different times uh, but we love you guys you, you guys have been awesome so uh come check it out if you like everything dc related yeah thanks ben for letting me do that 100 percent, 100 percent. the last thing guys is that we have been plugging for a little while we're making these action movie anatomy mugs we've been uh randomly selecting folks to give them away to though they haven't come in yet as you can see well, we also haven't gotten uh we gotta have you guys reach out to us we gotta get your address and you know yes. we gotta know where to mail them yes because and we will list out your names at the end the ones that have already won as well as selecting one more but the rules how that works is you have to go to the iTunes page and you have to give us a rating and a review and uh, once we get to 20 reviews because we have 19 ratings and 16 reviews right Mm -hmm. now we're going to start giving a few more away so uh, help us get to 20 check out the iTunes Um, you guys have been awesome so far saying some really nice things about us we love reading those uh, comments they really 
Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. And we'll auction off, randomly select one more mug to be given away at the end of the show. Guys, let's get into Minority Report. We're going to start this off with our with our thesis statement. So uh, the thesis statement, the way this works is it's like a strong idea, something rooted in fact, kind of hyperbole. There should be no like, this is my favorite, this, that, and the other. Or like, <laughs> he has a really sweet line. It should be like, this is the greatest, or this is one of the top five this, or this started this thing. Uh, and it should be a strong idea, which we all think very hard about construct and Roxy tends to have pretty strong ones. So I'm gonna she's start. like really proud of her. Oh no, it was your recast. You're super. No, excited. yeah, my recast is amazing, but you're gonna have to wait for that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I think that this is something I hope that we can all agree on, or maybe not, and then we could get into some fights. I love fighting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Andrew, let Roxy okay, talk. Okay, fine. Um, I think that this is the most underrated Spielberg and Cruz movie of all time. Son of a Literally bitch. Drew's exact That is my exact piece of statement. So I'm really glad you went second. Yeah, well. Wow, you guys, that was not planned? That was not. Pl- okay, so I stayed over last night. Yeah, that's I stayed true. all night trying to make a thesis statement. Uh, yeah. No, that is. Wow. Okay. Okay, well. Roxy that... was like hiding and heard you say it to right. me because she didn't have her own and just like stole it. Just like, like oh, no, first. Both uh, of your faces while I was saying it was like, yeah. spit it out so we can talk about why it's Andrew's also. Uh, I was like, oh, oh, something wrong with it. Mine's similar, but it's a little more specific. But that's incredible that yours. Mine's similar, but better. Okay, read. Uh, well, what's it say? What is it? I want the exact wording on yours. I don't, read, I don't ever write it oh, down. Oh, you don't write it down? No. Oh, well, mine's typed, oh, so that's here. how you know that mine's true. Yeah, my blueprint was in my head. You could have just copied mine. Whatever I would have said, oh you would have said gosh. that that now, was too. Now we're just getting out okay. of here. <laughs> you guys are, this is absurd. You guys are just bickering. Roxy, why don't you go do DC movie news or something, okay? Is we're going to get Is it Marvel or DC that you do? <laughs> oh my uh, God, you already stood up for me. It. Shoot. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. Oh, well, that is literally my exact thesis statement is that this is the most overrated or underrated, overlooked Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise movie. So ditto. Yeah, ditto. Mm. Oh, for both of them, not like a movie together. No, 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 for both of them. them. Each of them. Each of them individually. They don't have that many movies together. Yeah, Yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Just making sure. Yeah, no, uh, separately. Interesting. Wow. I I feel like if you ask anyone out there, hey, what are your top five Spielberg movies? What are your top five Cruise movies? I feel like very rarely will Minority Report be either of those. I literally wrote down the top... (laughs) That's what I did. I wrote down the top five Cruise movies and Spielberg movies and how Minority Report isn't either of those. Right. It's on my paper. It's on it. We're in the same great minds, you know? So I'm going to jump in with mine, and and it's very similar to yours, actually, but it's like just sort of at it from a little bit of a different angle, and it has the same approach, the top five approach. So what I'm going to say is that Minority Report is the first of the three Tom Cruise cult classic blockbusters. Yeah. There's three that he's made. And what I mean when I say that is that these are films that came out with high financial expectation, did reasonably well at the box office, but weren't considered successes by any means relative to some others. And then within about a year or two of release, were kind of swept under the rug culturally. Like, not really talked about, not discussed. But anytime you bring up one of these movies with someone who's seen it and likes it, it's one of their favorite movies. They love it. And if you were to try to make a top five list, most people's would never include this movie. So the three films that he made... Minority Report is the first one. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about why I think that is and why this one in particular sort of hits that. The second one is Mission Impossible 3 in 06, which I think is another movie. And that one very specifically, we've talked about this on the episode that we did for that. It, that one went under the rug because it was right at the time that Cruz's public stock was just falling. He and just, also, when we talked to people about it that had yeah. watched the movie, it, the things that we loved about it the most is kind of what people didn't want in a Mission Impossible movie. It was darker than people it was wanted. It was too heavy. It was too dark. It wasn't, yeah. Yeah. 
And the last one, and this is maybe a reach because it's brand new, is Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie that, again, did not perform particularly well at the box office. A lot of people didn't watch it, mm-hmm. but those that did, it's one of their favorite movies. I've seen that movie probably 12 times, and I think that in 10 years, people will remember Edge of Tomorrow in almost the exact same way they remember Minority Report. They're very similar, in my, in my opinion. And to go along with your thesis statement here, it's very interesting because we obviously look at the views of our videos that we post for this show. On YouTube, yeah. And other than Mad Max, which is just like a runaway train, it's like 700,000 views. Good job, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, we're very... Thank you, guys. Um, The other ones are Mission Impossible 3, Man on Fire, and Edge of Tomorrow. Those are three of the biggest ones. And I would say that Man on Fire has the same exact kind of appeal we're talking about, which is... one of my favorites. It's awesome. It's the same thing. You bring it up, and anybody that thinks about that movie loves that movie. Right. Or or even if they don't, they're like, I don't know. And then you make them watch it, or you watch it with them, like, oh my god, that movie's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating, actually, that Minority Report, when we were watching it, I was just sort of struck by... I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to box office, but... After Adjusted Gross, this is Spielberg's 17th highest grossing movie. Right. Mm. After Adjusted Box Office, this was the 17th highest grossing film of 2002, mm-hmm. and it's only Cruise's 11th. I mean, and there's a lot of other movies that you would not believe are in front of this yeah. that year. It's just such a testament to the two people that you just mentioned, though. I mean, Spielberg has a million things that he's done that are incredible, and so does Cruise. If mm-hmm. you had named two other names, maybe it would have been number one, number two. Yeah, right, but you think that if the two of them teaming up at the time, because this was, this was right before Tom Cruise's fall. So about four, yeah, four yeah. years. So you would think that those two names doing a movie like this would be massive, but it just, I, don't, I think it was too dark for the time. And we find this out a lot when we do movies yeah. that are older and they're like darker. This movie is, that was another thing that I was going to, uh, for my other thesis statement that I thought about was that this is the darkest movie that Tom Cruise has ever done. Right. Like in, as an action film. Yeah. And Spielberg. Which is strange because it's very brightly lit. The whole thing is kind of white and yeah. uh, and overexposed, and then it's this really yeah. dark, gritty feel. It was interesting. I, I, I love that. I think one of the reviews that I remember reading about uh, just in the last day or two was it, it's like illuminated chrome, reflective and constantly moving is what they refer to the movie as. Right. Which is, is really interesting. It's like sort of bluish, and it's just, but it's, and it's almost like represented in the, the utopian vehicles that are going through the city. Everything is kind of similarly colored. It all moves very smoothly. Everything is yeah. constantly in motion. Um, very soulless. But, yeah, so, I mean, if you talk about each of those movies, like, you can, and I don't want to get too much into this because we've done this before on an episode with the sort of, like, phases of Cruise. Uh-huh. Sort of, if you break his career into, like, pieces, you can look at it as, like, three or four different sort of chunks. But right, right. this movie comes right when he made the transition from I'm Tom Cruise, action star, trying to win an Oscar, which mm-hmm. was the 90s, most of the 90s. You know, Jerry Maguire and Magnolia, Eyes Wide Shut, Vanilla, Vanilla Sky, Sky was a yeah. one. Right, he did he did Mission Impossible two a couple years before this, but ultimately this is like the transition back into I'm a big budget action star and that's what I'm good at because he does this movie, he follows it up with The Last Samurai, right? He dips his foot for Collateral, which is kind of the same thing as trying to win an Oscar, but it's also Michael Mann and it's kind of actiony. He's a he's an assassin. War of the Worlds is 05. and then the stock falls, and that's when Mission Impossible three happens. So I think that when this movie happened, there was just sort of a sense of like. Tom Cruise has been off the radar as an action guy for a while. Sci-fi, eh, I'll wait. Maybe I won't see this one. Right. Right. Oh, six, the wheels had come off. And why Edge of Tomorrow was unsuccessful financially, I don't know. But well, it's interesting, too, because War of the Worlds was so successful. Hugely successful. And this was, what was that, three years later? Mm-hmm. After this? Yeah. Yeah. It was massive. And it's the same type of thing. Huge director, you know, aliens... Yeah, you know, sci-fi, that whole thing. And so. then I'm surprised that they didn't make more movies together after that. 
It's right. because of the Scientology. It's because stuff. of exactly. Right. It's because on the press tour for War of the Worlds, Spielberg spoke out and was like, "This is he's getting a little out of his out of hand here. I don't yeah. like you. Got to separate yourself from." The, and that's when things started. Right, happening. but Spielberg works with a lot of crazy people. I feel like. Yeah. Like, I guess that's a step right. too but far. But it's when it's when people cross his ideals when he has an issue. It's like why Megan Fox got fired from the Transformers mm. series when she called a. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Bay, a, a Nazi. Okay, Spielberg sure. was like, "You're done." Right. All right. Well, let's move along. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that is the that's our thesis statement. I yeah. think it's it's interesting. It's I, I like this movie. I like where it's positioned. So uh, now we're gonna get into fist pump moment. Fist pump moment, guys. For those of you that watch the show, you know this. It's that moment when you're watching a movie. Maybe you're on the couch by yourself. Perhaps you've had a glass of wine. I don't know what you like to drink. Maybe you're sober, but you're watching this movie and something cool happens. Yeah, right. And it could be anything. It could be a movement in the score. It could be a conversation between the two main characters. It could be a one liner. It could literally just just be an exterior shot anything and you just have this moment where you're like god this is awesome and you're like looking around you're like are you guys seeing this right now yeah who's and you're like i get to watch the rest of this movie this is great That's me at five point. in the morning last night i had such a hard time because i knew i was coming on the show not tweeting it out like i needed to tweet it out but then i was like i'll save it i'll save it because right. you guys would have looked and known my moment your fist pump yeah you were that excited i was really I excited because i forgot about it i forgot about this moment i watched it at five in the morning <laughs> we're dedicated this like a couple hours ago <laughs> <laughs> quick thing though i called my brother this morning to talk about this movie i was like do you remember when you watched it? he goes i watched that literally six hours ago really how weird is that and That's i was like amazing. it's destiny i know we're supposed to talk about it today is he gonna see the show yeah of course oh good oh yeah shout what? out to jet Oh, he Love loves it. when I shout yeah. out. I never Aww. do it. Uh, yeah, but so uh, this was a. I'm, I'm stealing the light, and I'm going to say my fist bump moment. Do it. Better, not, <laughs> do it. better do it. be the same as mine. No, it's not. So it's upset. definitely not. Please, it's definitely come not. On. Do it. Come I, on, I really do don't it. think so. Um, my favorite was the moment with the balloons, and as they're uh, walking out, oh, they're sure, escaping sure. from it, and she's like, "Wait." Wait, and yeah. he wait. like waits for nobody just and waits for nothing. Standing, just standing yeah, there, yeah. and you're like, "What exactly is going on?" And then the balloons come, and everybody looks over, and they're like, "Have you identified everybody?" And they're like, "No." I just thought that that was perfect brilliant. and brilliant. The whole thing leading up to that too, like he's going to drop his briefcase, all, all of that, yeah. because we know that they can predict murders, but we didn't know exactly how far things could go. I thought that was so awesome. And as the balloons came out, I was like, "Yes, Agatha!" Yeah. It's I'm, one of those moments where you, because in this whole movie, you don't see Tom Cruise ever settle. Or yeah, like right. stop, yeah. or be stagnant, and for it to be right in the middle of a chase for him to just have to stop, and yeah. I think it's mainly because it's Tom Cruise too to like yeah. see him have to just wait. He's not good at waiting for anything. He runs a lot. In this he movie. runs a lot. Oh yeah, in yeah. every single movie, and he just he, yeah. there's nothing he can do. Sometimes the best thing to do is stand still, and he is so bad at that. Like yeah, I can he's, feel he's the like, yeah, neurons in his butt yeah. kind of like yeah. racing back and forth. I love that moment. That's great. Uh, mine is when. Colin Farrell has just figured out what's going on. He's like, the tides are going in, the tides are going out. He's like, these are two different murders. Right. Blah, blah, blah. blah. And then Burge is sitting there. He's like, do you hear that? He's like, there's no, you know, there's no yeah. helicopters. There's no sirens. Yeah. There's no... It's like, that's because the, no one knows this is going to happen. You know, whatever. And then he just shoots him in the chest. Yeah. And it's just like that moment of, holy shit. Like, this right. guy really is the smartest and the most cold. He's just yeah. cold. He's just like, no one will get in the way of my vision. And he will kill anyone that gets in the way. And he knows how to manipulate the system better than anyone else. He presents a really interesting character, uh, Burgess, because that's a stereotype that is identifiable for most people, which is the, 
which is the much older, extremely successful guy who sort of should be retired. Right. You think he's retired. Yeah, they even talk about it later on. Yeah. yeah. But he's holding on to what his youth, sort of his younger years, all this, the glory that he had. Mm-hmm. And there's the sense from him which is like he's not willing to let go and just fade. Right. Um, he even says like this is not only is this my legacy, this is John's legacy to yeah. his wife, you know. Doing anything you can to stay alive, to stay relevant, to stay in the game even when it's very clear you should be you should be you should have stepped down by now, you know. And on the flip side of that, one of the reasons that I loved that moment so much was because of Colin Farrell's choices as an actor yeah. as he's falling down and he almost kind of smiles yeah. like Oh my god, I was right. Yeah. But I just didn't get there, you know? Because yeah. he comes in with this crazy thing, like, hear me out, and yeah. he was right. And he totally redeems himself as a character. Yeah. Like, you pretty much hate him throughout the whole movie until that moment when you're like, he's just doing his job. Absolutely. Yeah, even just for the moment that he enters and he's in the temple. Gum? And he just, yeah. Or is that is it in the temple, or is it when he's he's going through the... It's when he's, like, doing his work, and uh-huh. he's, like, he's like, gum, he, like, jams his hand in. You're like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Get out of here. Uh, uh, the, other, the other... On the flip side of that is the moment that Max has with the wife. Uh, yeah, when, when he's like, I'm uh, checking the drowning, blah blah blah. It's a good like, I never said that he drowned. Yeah, and then they, he just like stands up, and he's like a foot taller than her. Moves the chair to yeah. the side, very like trying to physically intimidate her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, I'll come over by the cottage tomorrow. Yeah, we'll finish yeah. the conversation. You're like, oh, dude. Because now the precogs are back, and he can't just stab her. But he yeah. would have. He totally would have. He would have killed her. Yeah. yeah. Um, my two are the two kind of quiet emotional moments in the movie, and they're I, I like them both a lot. They're because they're similar. They're like the same. They're like the same moment. But originally, I would say it's the scene where Cruz is doped up in his house, watching the home movies of his his gone son and his and his wife. He's Mm -hmm. saying all the lines, and he's saying the lines, and like it's playing, and it's so it's such a weird scene because he's super out of it, and it's super sad and kind of pathetic in a lot of ways because he's like, you're like, man, like you're just you've watched this a hundred times, you're saying the lines with it. It's not really pathetic. It's the wrong word, but it's. It's, it's kind sad. of disturbing. It's, it's very yeah. sad. It's yeah. very, it's, 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 it's like very eerie. real. It's a weak moment. It's mm-hmm. an extremely weak moment for his character. Um, and then again, I would almost say that the moment later in the cottage when she says there was so much love in this house and all that, and she's and then she goes through that whole monologue. That's a great scene. Yeah, that's my brother's favorite. It's a great scene because then it ends with a creepy run, she's which like, is run. really run. startling. <laughs> yeah, she just screams it. Really mm-hmm. startling. And I would. Almost say the second one's more touching. Like the second one, like definitely got to me on an emotional level more. But the first one, there's just something about that first scene that is just very like because the opening to this movie is so perfect, frantic, and so so quick, and such a great scene. And then it just you take from this perfectly executed. I've stopped this murder, and mm-hmm. I'm Tom Cruise, just like in control to like. I'm gonna just buy drugs in an alley and sit there watching home movies. With my son, it's a total flip. You know, flips the crypt. Yeah, so I got two things to say about. Uh, one of them is more like, uh, I'll just, I'll just instead of just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the first one is that that first fourteen minutes of the movie is like essentially when we were watching, we we're like, that's the whole movie. That's a trailer for the whole movie, and we were Great. reading about it. Yeah. What does that fourteen like, lead up to? Uh, it's it's just the opening with with them catching the uh, Howard, whatever his name is, who's about to kill his wife, and yeah. then it goes into him like doping up and watching movies with his kid. So into the doors open, him going up, and then... Yeah. Okay, got it. So it's like the, the first 14 minutes of this movie is is just like... It's a trailer for everything that's going to happen throughout yeah. this film. It's perfectly laid out, perfectly shot, and like the color and everything. You're like, I'm going on a ride here. This is going to be a different experience than I've had with other Spielberg movies. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to ask you guys is that when... Agatha is sitting there talking about what their son's life would have been. Yeah. Do you think that that's... What was his son's name? You guys remember? Sean. Sean. Do you think it was Sean's life or do you think it's the kid 
that's in her belly at the end of the movie. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Because, um, I mean, she only can see things that are going to happen in the future. She says Sean several times. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and she also kept talking about how dead people are not gone yeah. and whatnot. So I think his, but I had such a tough time with that scene. I I just think that the placement of it was so insane. Tough as in I thought it was beautiful. Oh. But the placement of it was so insane because she can see the future and she knows that everybody's coming right now. And she chooses this moment before she says run to lead up to this. Like yeah, she knows. True. Screw if she says run before she goes through this, he gets out of there and he gets out safe. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think that I, the reason that I think that happens, and I think sort of the herd being taken by surprise in that moment to, to have that whole monologue before she says run, I think the reason it happens is because she's been locked up in this temple for years, right? And she's been seeing murder after murder after murder after murder. And now she's had this shock to her system for the last you know day where she's driving around, she's walking through shopping mall, stuff that she hasn't experienced in forever, totally shocked. And she finds herself now awake in a peaceful place, filled with love. And I think she's kind of doing, she's giving that like monologue almost as much for her sake as she is for theirs. Right, because she's getting to see something beautiful for the first exactly. time. Exactly. And that's why I think she, and she gets to it and then she's like, you're going to have to run again. Like all of a sudden she's like, oh God, right. back to negative. Mm-hmm. Run. And that's why I think she has that reaction. Um, and yeah, that, that scene is definitely like the one in the movie that like you know you get a little teary eyed almost because mm-hmm. it's just the only thing about it the only part about that scene that I like lost it a little is when Cruz is like collapsing and crying like it wasn't that it was bad it just was a little bit more than I needed, needed. just yeah. a little more than I needed I almost would have just rather had more just time on her talking I didn't even really necessarily need to see his much more than maybe one or two moments of his reaction mm-hmm. but that's just that's small I don't know right I see. I see what you're saying, but I think that in in terms of his character, we needed to see that, especially when we see what he's like when he thinks he found the killer. It was kind of that similar, like yeah. uh, something's taken over my body. This isn't who I am usually. Right. So I, I enjoyed that moment. I also love the last one is when he's crying, giving you have the right to remain silent. He's holding yeah, that's against the Yeah, so oh, good. Amazing. Just awesome. broken. I really wish I could watch this movie for the first time again. Oh, like I, I need to find somebody who hasn't seen it. I didn't see this movie when it came out in theaters. I I think I saw it like I about remember. four or five years yeah. later, like maybe like oh six. Um, and I definitely just remember watching it and being like, "This movie was great." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't people talk about this movie? Mm-hmm. Sort of, which is sort of our whole point. But anyway, we've been we've been harping for a while. We started to actually talk a little bit about the cruise career around this time, and that's exactly what we're going to get into right now with Star Profiles. So uh, we should talk a little bit about this is where we can talk about the the sort of phases of the career. So if you look at the '90s and you think of basically. Risky Business in the 80s goes into Oscar supporting character in Rain Man and Color of Money. Born on the 4th of July gets the Oscar nod in the late 80s, right? He's no longer sort of a kid. The early 90s, now he's like this action-leading man guy with Few Good Men and Days of Thunder, movies like that. But by the mid-90s, by 95, he's now achieved everything. He's Mission Impossible 1 comes out. He's the guy. He's an action star, his own brand, his, his own production company. And the next year, Jerry Maguire, he gets the lead actor, you know, the lead actor nomination. No no longer as a kid where it's surprising in Born on the Fourth of July, but as a straight up leading man. Yeah, and also just the longevity of it, that this wasn't like a fleeting thing, that he's been in the game for a long time at this point. Now Cruz has been relevant for 12, 13 years. Right. Yeah. So when this movie happens, this is six years after Jerry Maguire. And in that six years, what happened was he goes, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to win this Oscar. So it's like Magnolia with Paul Thomas Anderson. He's a supporting character in 98. Eyes Wide Shut in 1997, or, or uh, Magnolia's in 99. 
um, you know, Mission Impossible 2 is the sort of the obligatory sequel right. in 2000, but Vanilla Sky, which is the heady, heady remake of Obra Los Ojos, the uh, original, I can't remember who made the original movie, but it's a Spanish film, uh, but it's Cameron Crowe trying to make this, like, sort of psychological thing. Weird movie. Yeah, and he's, these are the movies that he's doing in the late 2000s, and I think when he lost for Magnolia in 99, that's when he kind of was like, I feel like he, he didn't give up, but he's like, I need to take my career in a different direction for a while. Yeah, because when this movie comes out, and I read in all the press lead up to it, he's turning 40 three weeks, before, like three weeks after the press tour for this movie was taking place. And he kept saying in the interviews, I'm fine with it, I'm fine with it, I'm fine with it. And I sort of feel like he was like, you know what, the most successful thing I've done is make action films. I'm an action movie guy. And that's when his company's like, okay, let's put Mission Impossible 3 in the works, you know, let's put Last Samurai in the works. Let's like let's really get this going, and his, that's good. I was just say his best moments in action movies come from his dramatic background. Yeah, Mi Three, Last Samurai, the moments in that, the moments in Collateral, and the moments in this movie that are so real and yeah. raw and like visceral. Mm-hmm. That's what makes these movies. That's what makes him one of the greatest, if not the greatest, action hero of all time. Is yeah. that he has that vulnerability that you miss so much that makes him so relatable. Yeah, and also the fact that it's not just he has this realization that this is what he does best at or or, uh, people appreciate most. Unlike most people, as you guys talk about all the time, he does all of his own stunts, so that's very fulfilling for him. It's not like he's sitting there, he's popping his face and somebody else is coming in and doing all the work. This is something that he loves to do that Spielberg actually fought him consistently on, like taking it back and toning it back. And I think that that is way more fulfilling if that's something you love to do it's not like you're just a face on this poster you're really going in there and your entire body is transforming your mind everything you're learning so it's different than most action stars it's it's, it's, it's really funny you say that because we'll, we'll show it a little later but we have like a behind the scenes stunts thing in this movie and Spielberg in one of the bits is talking he's like all the high jumps off the scaffolds you yeah. know Cruz is doing that stuff himself he's like and I just it's really impressive and like the, the difference between him like jumping off of like scaffolds with a rope in like 2002 right, to what he was on, yeah. doing in 2014, 2011 is like he just took it. It was like, I'm just going to, you know, hang from an airplane, hold right. my breath for six minutes, jump off the Burj Khalifa, fall 20 feet. Spielberg would have never let him do that, though, if he directed the movies. Because yeah. he was like even saying, he's like, I can't sleep at night if I'm worried that Tom is going to get hurt tomorrow. Right. I pick what stunts he does and what he doesn't do. And Cruz was like, we're not working together anymore. I'm making the movie. I'm the producer and I'm going to do what I want. That's <laughs> right. So that's actually what happened. That's why they don't make movies together anymore. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He, it's, it's nuts. But anyway, we talked too much about Cruz. Yeah, this, this is incredibly interesting with Colin Farrell and where his career is at. This is the this is the beginning of the pinnacle of Colin Farrell's like career. Of, yeah, like the turning point in a lot of ways. Yeah. I saw American Outlaws in theaters. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say that right now in 2001. It's and not a good movie. Yeah, no. It's a bad movie. Not a good movie. Um, Hearts War is also not a very good movie. Also bad. And Phone Booth. Roxy loves it. I love phone booth. I love phone booth. It's not that long. It was, I thought, really exciting. We didn't go that many places. We stuck around a phone booth for most of it. When you say it's not that long, as you're, that's the glowing glowing review. No, I'm just saying, like, it it knew what it was. It was something that was short, and it was a thriller, and people were watching it because they started to like him, and I thought that he did a very good job at it. That's like being like, that's like being like, 
Look, sugar-free frozen yogurt, it doesn't get me that fat. I mean, it's uh, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's uh, not like that at all. I like that about it. it. Because <laughs> most people are like, oh, I don't want to see a movie that takes place in a phone booth and sit there for three hours. It's not that long. So it, it, <laughs> it's, it's more long, exciting. It's, great. it's fair. So he goes and he does he does American Outlaws, then he does Hearts War, and then Phone Booth is released later in this year. But, yeah. you know. Uh, and then he does this movie, and then he goes on to just being the guy. For, for a few guy. years, he's the guy, right? He does The Recruit immediately with Al Pacino, yeah. and he goes into doing Daredevil with yep. Ben Affleck. Flop. Yep. Horrible. Uh, SWAT. And then uh, At Home at the End of the World. I remember seeing previews for that. I never watched it. I didn't see it either. Uh, Alexander. Yeah. The New World. Okay, I also yeah. didn't see. You know, Acid Dust. Miami Vice. Like, he's just, he's yeah. the guy. He's the guy that sells the tickets. New World's pretty good. Miami Vice is pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and then he does Embrews, which is one of my favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, love, love Embrews. I never thought of him as the guy, and I still don't think of him as the guy. I think of him as a guy. Like, but his career is like, yeah, it's one of those funny careers, because all the movies you name, the huge budget ones mm-hmm. that he's involved in for the most part in there, he's not the guy on the poster where you're like, this is, I'm going to see this movie because Colin Farrell's in it. That's what the so. guy means to me. I think that I think that that's who he was at the time in his career. Even I, if he's not the biggest name yeah. on it, he's still the guy. Like, you go and see him in the movie. In the movie, and it's like his movie? Yeah. I think he's incredible. I think he's very talented. I I really like his work, but I've never saw something, or been walking down the street, and somebody's like, ooh, that's a Colin Farrell movie. I have to go see that, because I love Colin Farrell. Well, True Detective Season 2, he's the best part of the whole thing. Because he's very talented. Yeah. I mean, you didn't see The Recruit because Al Pacino in 2003. True. That's not why you watched that movie. Right, his career was on you the did, And SWAT and... Uh, but you think you watched it because of Colin Farrell? That's why I watched it. I mean, what I was going to say is when you say the guy, what I take that as, and my agreement with you on that is, he's... Okay, being cast as Bullseye is the classic. That's the mm-hmm. one, that's the most indicative to mm-hmm. me. Because when you're making a superhero property and it's going to be a big budget movie and you need a guy who's like, yeah, we trust this guy's chops. He can carry a villain in, in, in a superhero movie with a bunch of green screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colin Farrell's hot. He's a guy that can do that. That's where I'm like, right. you know what I'm because saying? Because he's talented. He's a, he's a very talented actor, but that's why you have huge names surrounding him also. He's not the only big name in that universe. In SWAT or in, in Alexander. Yeah. I mean, in any of these things. In Miami Vice. I think, my, in my opinion, when you get included in a like the follow-up that Michael Mann makes the collateral, mm-hmm. that means you're the guy. But it's different than being like Tom Cruise or like right. Brad Pitt as the guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but he's still like... like what's a level under the guy then? Like... 1B or something? Just guy? <laughs> he, was, he was the guy. Yeah. He was one of the guys in Hollywood at the time. 100%. If guy says 100%. he's the guy, then he's the guy. <laughs> guy says he's the guy. 100% like if, if you're thinking about the stretch between 02 and like 08, it's mm-hmm. like who are the sort of like top three or top five males that we're going to throw into prominent roles in big, big movies? Right. He's one of those guys. Absolutely. So totally. I agree with you there. He's one of those guys. We can all agree on that. But I think we can all agree that he never transitioned from that guy into like the Brad Pitt or the Matt Damon or like... The- it's because of what happened in this run. He was supposed to do that. I really feel like he was supposed to do that with yeah. his career, and he just couldn't do it. There was mm. too many bad movies in there. Yeah, he's just not... There's just something about him. Like I, I almost feel like what he did with True Detective Season 2 is almost more what he's suited for. I think what he did in Bruges is like one of his yeah. best roles Incredible. Ever. And it has nothing roles. to do with lack of talent. Yeah. No, not at all. Oh, he's almost like too he's too interesting. He's not he's like not like just like generic and American enough. He's like there's some like there's some like I don't know. I guess you know who he didn't if they had remade Lethal Weapon seven years ago, he would have been Riggs. Yeah. How many times when you guys are doing recasting have you used him as the recast? Never. 
Not for me, anyway. What, is it, what does that have to do with anything? The, just the rest of the guys you have used. He's just a tiny bit older than he needs to be for the I've only used Brad Pitt once, I think. Yeah. Maybe. But that's an interesting point, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up more. I'm sure he does. Now he's going to come up every week. Every yeah. week. Um, all right, let's let's move on because we are... I have no idea what time it is, but uh, I know that we <laughs> are... for us to talk about production. Going hard right now. Yes. Um, yeah, let's talk about my uh, Minority Report production notes and who wrote it and produced it and directed it and this huge amount of outline that we wrote. Uh, where do we start? Let's start with directing, directing? Spielberg. Why not? Spielberg, you know? We haven't done a Spielberg movie yet, so... Which is not that surprising because of the movies that he does, but it's like... I would. I wish we would have talked about Spielberg already, but we get to now. I don't know that Spielberg has another movie we would do unless we decided to do War of the Worlds. But you would have to do one of the earlier Jurassic Parks because then you would have yeah. to bring Roxy back. <laughs> what we happened? talked about Jurassic One. Yeah, we talked about Jurassic One. I've talked about Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, uh, hard to pigeonhole those movies into this genre. Yeah, I guess you could say the same thing about this movie, but the the fact that it's like Cruise is an action hero and you kind of have it's it just feels the most like it. I mean, what he did for this, so when he went in and he talked to his his, uh, his old um, cinematographer from Schindler's List, mm-hmm. from yeah. Saving Private Ryan, he's like, I want to do something darker, grittier, and uglier than anything we've ever done. Right. And he's going to do it with Tom Cruise. And this is the first time they'd ever worked together. Yeah. Do you feel like he accomplished that? Absolutely. I mean, this movie is gnarly. This movie's gnarly. Like, the color, the city, just like how dirty it is. He's got, you've got the, the no-eyed man, you've got the eye surgery, you've got them just carrying around eyeballs and stepping on them. It's just, it's not the type of movie that these guys do. Like, for what Steven Spielberg did with action-adventure movies, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, this is a complete step away from what his traditional action genre was. And yeah, if we if you talk about the other movies in the sci-fi territory within a couple years of it, you know, The Matrix coming to mind is the other most prominent huge one, and then Equilibrium, obviously, was within about a year of that. This is totally different. This is like... If if the Matrix is a weird sort of alternate reality where we're plugged in, and if we look at uh, you know Equilibrium is sort of like the dystopian utopian future, but I if love you look that movie, yeah, Equilibrium is great. Yeah, yeah. But you look at this movie, <clears throat> this nothing about this movie is trying to be way, 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 way beyond something that could happen aside from obviously the precogs, which is just absurd. Right. But I mean, but in terms of any of the design, so much of the design was intentionally supposed to feel real. That's why I think this movie stands up well and why at the time when yeah. it came out, there was this really kind of shocking quality to it. Like everything – I mean there's there's a ton written about – a lot of the stuff Spielberg concepted for this movie. You know, he had this thing that was called – It was a think tank. Yeah, think tank, right? Yeah. And they, I think they called it like the, the Minority Report Summit or something like mm-hmm. that. And he brought in basically seven or eight minds – all these like MIT architecture, you know, people from Apple, mechanical like, engineers, yeah. chemical, like, you know, chemical scientists, like these all different people. And he had this weekend in Santa Monica for three days where there's like an 80 page, essentially like a Bible of all these ideas they came up that with what, yeah. to make this world plausible. And a ton of the things they came up with in the movie in 2002 or 2001 when they were concepting it have come True. Yeah, they come to fruition. They're real things now. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. there's and a lot of these products, like they're they're still products that are being worked on. If you think about something like, you know, uh, direct advertising via retinal scans and, and all that. Yeah, I they're, mean, they're working on that now still for facial recognition scans. To yeah, do. and you think about you know, uh, and your IP address being rec- used to recognize your preferences online for things you're searching for, and then your Facebook feed pops up. You know, you search for this thing. Mm-hmm. Here's five options. It's it's all kind of the same type of thing. Um, so I think that's really interesting as a director. I almost feel like that's the most relevant part of his direction is his insistence that this movie would feel and look that way. 
There's yeah. also the visual design, which is totally his. Yeah, the only thing is the cars being on tracks that we're still like, who knows how far away from? Where yeah, everyone has the same cars. They're all on tracks. They all move in, in you know, in motion through like a bigger system. Because old cars just wouldn't function on that, right. so it seems crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then like, but even even the newspaper with like the moving ads and and like the refreshable ads is, is Xerox and a company in Japan are still working on making something like this. And how different is that from a tablet that exactly. is automatically updating as you're reading the newspaper, the uh-huh. news? Yeah, right. And we'll get there about the writing too. But I think that Spielberg, all the things you're talking about, if it wasn't for him, this movie wouldn't have been a good movie. If he didn't insist on bringing those minds in, yeah. if he didn't insist on the uh, realistic aspect of the future, if he didn't insist on rewrites or whatever it is i think this this movie would have totally flopped so because of his pre-production work yeah that's why this movie works for us works for me at least yeah i totally could have done it cameron yeah yeah i think it would have what year a little different 2002 that's when this was no no what year would cameron Cameron have done it i mean this is when he was like swimming underwater in aliens of the deep because he i think cameron's big break was 07 to Avatar, right? He broke. He didn't do a movie other than Aliens of the Deep between Avatar oh, and Titanic. I just don't. I don't think that he at the time would have been able to do what Spielberg did. Fair, maybe he. Yeah. I now mean, I think he would do a good job with this movie. Yeah, I mean Cameron's like very. He took all that time to, to switch from practical to like CGI, and um, but yeah, he. I mean. He, like I said, he was underwater looking at Aliens of the Deep at the time, which is awesome if you guys haven't seen that movie. Absolutely. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think I think that this is a success on Spielberg's part. I also think it's interesting that he insisted he and Cruz um, both take 15% of gross income on the film as mm-hmm. opposed to actually taking any money up front. Which is when you believe in a movie. Yeah. All right, which is what he always says. He's like, if the movie's not going to make any money, I don't make any money. Right. And I believe in that wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely think... I definitely think that it's interesting that in 1992 this movie was originally optioned because it's based on a Philip K. Dick short story originally and it sort of, like a lot of the movies we end up researching, went through many, many iterations. It was optioned in 92. He ended up getting delayed working on on, on, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. Um, Cruise, a few years later, ended up getting held up working on Mission Impossible 2 while Jan de Bont, who is credited as a producer but had zero to do with the movie nothing <laughs> at all was originally happens su- all the time yeah he was supposed to direct the film after speed which was in 94 in 97 he was supposed to direct it he ended up actually not doing anything with it so it took a few years you know spielberg because of the death of kubrick ended up finishing ai for kubrick which pushed this movie back even further which is how we get it in 1998 er, ai 2001 space Odyssey. ai was it ai that kubrick yeah what did i just say you said AI. Yeah, Kubrick was working on AI, oh, and then okay. he died during production, and Spielberg finished it. I um, didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the uh, it's why that's such a weird movie because it's fifty fifty, or it's like seventy thirty. It's like Kubrick did seventy percent. I of still it. like that movie. That's weird because back in nineteen ninety, when they were originally or ninety two, when they were going to originally do this, it was uh, what were the names? Scott or Ronald Shusett and uh, Gary Goldman. They'd written it as a sequel to Total Recall, right? Because it's another Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah. And uh, and that got washed over the years. And then Cruz like presented him with this script. He's like, "What do you think about this movie?" And Spielberg's like, "I'm not going to do it until I see a script that I like." Right? Yeah. There's a lot. There's a when we talk about writing, we can just sort of jump into it. There's there's a lot of different drafts uh, because the original story is short and mm-hmm. doesn't really have a second or third act. 
Um, right. It's just a brief idea, and and the characters are all very different. The you know the Anderton character is sort of a late late forties, early fifties, out of shape, single man with no family, balding, chub- yeah, balding. And his assistant is essentially the the Colin Farrell character, Whitworth, yeah, who kind of tries to usurp him by framing him for murder. Well, that's what he thinks happens. Okay, so what happens originally is that uh, um, instead of Leo Crow being the guy that he's supposed to kill, he sees it's this guy named uh, General Kaplan. Okay, I believe who is going to use pre-crime as he's going to use it for evil. Essentially, is what you get out of it. Right. So what happens in the original story is that Cruz Anderton goes on this mission to find him, um, and he does, and he kills him consciously. So he in the same thing as him killing Leo Crow with indirectly or not meaning to, he kills the guy consciously and then is exiled to some random frontier planet with his wife and then Whitworth takes over. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So it's very different, but I do understand like Burgess wasn't even in the story at all. He was completely created just for the film. For the film. Yeah. There were so many different drafts as you mentioned and I think that everything you guys have talked about what they did was they took the best parts of each yeah. um, like the car scene or whatever and all the different drafts which is a really risky play because a lot of times if you take the best part of all different scripts they don't go well together and right. it's not cohesive. Right. Uh, it worked out for them in their favor uh, probably because Spielberg had so much experience and is a great director and knew what he was doing and, and surrounded himself with people that he trusted but I, I was kind of surprised surprise hearing like this came from that and this came from that and this right. came from that and knowing that all these things were such separate original concepts uh, i'm glad it worked out yeah, could I mean, have really gone was, differently he was elated when uh cruise was um when production went over on mi2 so that he could bring in uh what was the guy's name uh john august who did some uncredited stuff and scott frank yeah, they, they did the final revisions of Scott Cohen's script. Well, because there's like seven. If you include Philip K. Dick, I think there's like seven writers. Right, something like that. It's absurd. Yeah, I mean, and the movie flows well, you know. But um, and this is not one of those. This is like not one of those situations. Like so many of the movies we end up doing on the show, where we find out that they went into production with a script that was like thirty percent done, and they were just writing it on the fly. Right. right, and this is also a different time. It's not like social media. Every single day, somebody's saying another uh, writer was added to this, and everybody is like, "This movie's going to suck." There, there wasn't a lot of negative press going into this because of all of those changes and because of the slow process. I think today, if this had happened, I think it would have gotten a way smaller. Uh, box office opening weekend sure uh, because there was just a, a lot of different uh, writers and things right. going on yeah yeah in that sense when you talk about the negative press one thing that comes to mind it's funny we talk about this as if it's like sort of Cruz's return to action if you think about this movie in the sense that it's a piece of art from Steven Spielberg it's a dramatic performance from Cruz and it comes on the heels of the dramatic stretch it's almost like really the last samurai is his return this is the this is the pivot point but you almost could movie. you could almost think about this movie as more of an art like an art house movie. It's not it's it's just very it's very interesting. It sort of straddles both. But anyway, the the producers we can talk a little about. Jandabon is was <laughs> not originally really a producer. Not a producer at all <laughs> and and he's relevant to us because he was a Dutch cinematographer that worked on a ton of movies mm-hmm. that we have done on the show. I mean, he was a cinematographer for Die Hard, for The Hunt for Red October, for Lethal Weapon 3. You know, very well respected. Worked with Paul Verhoeven, the sort of weird, like satirical auteur guy who Starship Troopers and all these all these weird movies over the years, Showgirls. Um, he ended up directing Speed in '94. He was supposed to direct Godzilla and didn't. And right. he ended up he was supposed to direct this movie and didn't. And now he's a producer on the movie. So Which, yeah, it's funny because Shusit and Goldman, I think, with the, the the original writers of the original script, I think after their Writers Guild, like yeah, whatever. 
uh, their dispute, they also got producer credits. So there's three producers on this movie that literally had nothing to do with it. You wonder what that even entails. Like, did they make any money? Is it just right. name on the just name on Probably the movie? Probably just billing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's very Oprah ask producer credit for you. You right. get a producer yeah. credit. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so Bonnie Curtis, as noted, I mean, we're just going to kind of rattle through the producers quickly here because. Frankly, it doesn't add that much to our critical discussion. Of I don't the think movie. that's why you guys watch the show, but, but congratulations it's something to them. we care yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Bonnie Curtis is someone who sort of she's like a she's a fifty fifty career person. Her first half of her career is almost exclusively with Spielberg. Um, huge movies with him. You know, her her earliest stuff like you know with him. I believe she she worked on this movie. She worked on um, what the hell else? Her earliest starting was with Spielberg. Starting with Spielberg's assistant in twenty seventeen. Why don't I have it written here? Do you remember what I wrote down for Bonnie Curtis? Uh, why don't we talk about something else? Says, Dead Poet Society. <laughs> yeah, production work on those movies. If you want to look it up, I'll talk about Walter F. Parks. Um, so he's a guy who we just researched a few weeks ago right. for the Gladiator episode. Um, I don't want to say any producer that's worked on big movies is middling because it's we go in terms of like if you're Bruce Berman or Joel Silver or someone like that, you're the biggest. Then if you're right. not and you're not somebody who just directs or produces indies, then you're sort of middling, which is what a lot of these guys are. And so Walter F. Parks, I mean, some of the movies he's worked on, you know, Twister, Amistad, Men in Black, Gladiator, that's pretty big stuff. Um, yeah, those are big movies. She did uh, AI, there you go. Uh, Lost World, Saving yeah. Private Ryan. Those are the ones. Yeah. Oh, always feel like on it. Yeah, so she did that, and then the second half of her career, after she, she sort of split off, a lot of sort of art house festival movies with big actors, though. Not the kind that where you see it's a bunch of foreign actors or, mm-hmm. or one star that you do. It's like pretty big people and stuff that's still coming out now. Right. So she's still very much in the game, but she, her style seems to be a little different. She's not really as interested in the big blockbusters. Her now. first five movies she ever produced were The Lost World, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, AI, and Minority Report. Exactly. Woman wow. power. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's incredible. Yeah, she worked with she worked with Spielberg for 17 years. So It's a really nice song. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then lastly was Gerald R. Mullen. And it's very interesting about him. Um, he's a guy that worked on Minority Report, Rain Man, Schindler's List, Twister. Right? So he's he's actually related to every producer on this list in some way. Right. Just in he's the movies. All of them. Just in the movies that he produced. And then basically Minority Report was sort of the end of that run. He took a big break and he came back to producing... Um, documentaries in 2011, which appears he still is doing, but he's not really involved in the big budget stuff anymore. Right. Um, so that pretty much covers producers. We can cool. Move on. Um, just talk about dollars. Yeah. So this is this is pretty cool. I think this movie cost a hundred million dollars to make. Right. Yep. One hundred two. Forty million dollar advertising budget. It grossed one thirty two and another two twenty six worldwide. So one forty against three fifty eight. Mm-hmm. Pretty good numbers. And that's with your leading star. And your massive director not getting paid. Right. Out of the initial budget. Yeah. Which is why they did that, to keep it at $100 or $100 million. $100 for yeah. this movie. So if this cost <laughs> $140 and it made $358, Edge of Tomorrow, by contrast, cost $175, but they spent an additional $100 million on marketing. Right. And that movie only ended up making about $335 worldwide, if I, if I remember correctly. Right. $350, $340, something like that. So the difference, the huge difference, is the advertising budget. Massive. Massive. And it's. I think that this movie only finished 17th in 2002. I mean, there's a ton of movies that finished ahead of it. It barely beat Lilo and Stitch in its opening weekend. That's crazy. Lilo yeah. and Stitch. Well, yeah, it, it, means family. Yeah. <laughs> family means we stay together? Is that oh, my God. But the voice. you got to oh do it. God, the voice. Family means no one gets left behind. Uh, okay. uh, Cruz, incidentally, actually auditioned for the role <laughs> of uh, Stitch. 
family, but Roxy beat him family, out for it. Listen, family means no one's left behind. <laughs> Ohana means family. Can you guys like? <laughs> I felt like I needed like a clap for me or something. Wasn't it pretty good? Pretty good. Yeah, you did a good job. It was a good stitch. It was good. Yeah, which is funny because Lilo and Stitch sold more tickets, but they were kids' children's tickets, so it didn't make as much money. Yeah, that is it is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> Damn children, grow up, buy own tickets. I mean, this movie opened number one with thirty five point six, but what Lilo and Stitch made thirty five point two six. So yeah, like and, yeah, and then this they, they I mean this movie dropped off pretty quickly. I, I mean that should be pretty indicative of what we're talking about. Is like if you think about a movie like Lilo and Stitch, mm-hmm. like in the canon of movies that mattered in the last twenty years. Did Lilo and Stitch matter in this as a dramatic film in the same way that Minority Report as matters? a dramatic film? We're comparing it as a dramatic film. It's it, it's wrong, a, you can't yeah it, wrong context nowadays. Do you, do people look back on Lilo and Stitch fondly the same way they look back on Minority Report? I feel like Lilo and Stitch was like a it could be the same conversation. Lilo and like, Stitch was pretty huge when you're like, did you see Minority Report? Oh yeah, the movie's great. Do you remember Lilo and Stitch? Oh, I love that movie. Okay, you fair enough. I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a demographic. Then. No, Lilo I don't think Stitch, you're wrong was... because there's a clear preference. For one, but I think that Lilo and Stitch is pretty. It's got, it's got a lot of fans. Yeah, That's Lilo and Stitch. I have a very sour memory. I went to see with my girlfriend in eighth or ninth grade. I can't remember which one I was. She in. broke up with you. We got in a fight halfway through it, so I just went and sat in the lobby. I refused Doesn't sound to like back. you at all. No, no, no. Did you ever see the end of the movie? <laughs> no, never seen the end of it. I will not. And I will not see it. I will not see it. And I hate you. You gotta see it and cover it on Action Movie Anatomy because it totally fits all four Special things. Special edition. Will you come in dressed up as the orange thing? The orange thing? <laughs> I didn't know if it was Lilo or Stitch, so I just had to say the orange thing. <laughs> the blue Lilo, thing. Lilo's the girl, and oh. Stitch is blue, and what is orange? <laughs> All right. Yes, I'll come in as the orange Just thing. dress up as an orange blob and do Lilo and Stitch. Will just come in and... <laughs> Stitch with my orange thing? I'll, I'll bring you an orange plush blanket uh, you can put on. I'm, like, really impressed with myself, and you guys don't seem to be impressed it's with myself. Very, 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 even someone just now said, no love for Roxy, what is with that? Look, we love Roxy. We were in the middle of doing Tom Cruise impersonations. Yeah. Can we just can we just, can just, we just get back to that? I can't can do my cruise. Our- my cruise isn't as good. My Stitch and my Yoda are pretty good, although Yoda sounds like Stitch and you oh, can't okay. hear it nope. now. Here we, now we got to hear Yoda. Nope, nope. You're going to have to ask me on again. If you just watch Marvel Movie News, uh, you'll be able to hear her. <laughs> anyway. So, let's, let's take a quick look here at, at the Philip K. Dick uh, adaptations that have made money. And yeah. we can sort of see an order here. Uh Total Recall is number one, and Minority Report, the original sequel to Total Recall, is number two. Right. Um, after that, Blade and that Runner, is the original Total Recall, by the way, guys, as you can see. As you can see, after <laughs> adjustment, after this is awful, uh, the remake in 2012, starring Colin Farrell, right. Our <laughs> made boy. no money. Uh, adjustment Bureau Paycheck. Man, these are some bad movies. Paycheck is wonderful. I mean, pretty much you've got one, two, and three are all sweet. Yeah. And then four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. They're all bad. Are all bad? Is Imposter the one with Gary Sinise? Is that I, right? I think so. It is, right? I, I don't want I you guys to quote me on that, but I'm pretty positive that's the one. Pretty sure it's like one of those movies where like I was like, oh my god, I love movies about this, like in, in sci-fi futures where your identity is somehow mistaken and you have to escape from a prison. And then I that's watched twelve minutes of it. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. I can't do this. Um and then, you know, Blade Runner the reissue and that's not really fair to call that a bad movie. No, no, not at all. It's a good film. That's the reissuing. Okay. Yes. Anyway. So, um, and critically, this movie, people love this movie. Yeah. It's, again, it's yeah. crazy. They forget about it. But yeah, critically, I mean, this movie is a 7.7 on IMDb, which is that's always good for an action movie. Yeah, I think it should be higher, but... I do too, actually. I actually thought it would be closer to 8. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I wonder about? Hmm. I wonder if you were to take every Cruise movie, which I think at this point is like 
42 or something like that. Like, you wonder this when you're sleeping, at, like, about to go to bed when at night? When you're looking at your poster. Yeah, when you're, no, when I you're just, kissing the... Hey, Tom. It's not on my, not on my ceiling, guys. It's <laughs> not when you wonder. It's not on my ceiling anymore. It fell down! It's not a thing. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I... Um, you know what I wonder is if you were to take all cruise movies and you were to look at what the aggregate IMDb score is as well as the all critics score uh-huh. on all of them. All the way across the board. I wonder where this movie would rank. because For all of his movies, rank-wise. Yeah, okay. because I feel like there's a lot of movies that are on those lists that would be that would rank really high that most people like don't just jump and talk about. Right. Like Rain Man comes to mind. Magnolia is one that Magnolia, people wouldn't think about for him to be ranked high. Money, I feel like some people Jerry might. Jerry Maguire. You yeah, know. Interview the Vampire probably ranks pretty high. Like There's a, there's a bunch of movies Rock where of Ages. Oh, God. Wait, what? Um, Andrew, we have a replacement host for you. He's outside. I'll just, you can... Guys, thank you. No. <laughs> Another movie I actually really enjoyed. Um, true Story, guys. <laughs> true Story, guys. I'm a huge fan of hair metal. Grew up, uh, and my old brother got me into it. I was in a band. I had a... The nickname Tommy Guns. I um, wish we had the picture of Ben and his Can you post days. it? Can you post uh, that somewhere? If you find me on Instagram, you can see some pretty ridiculous pictures. Some but bad ones um, the, the, the funny part about this is that we all know Tom Cruise is basically next to Patrick Swayze, my favorite actor of all time. And hair metal is my favorite genre of music of all time. I've never seen Rock of Ages. Boom. That just happened. Boom. But. Uh, so let's That's keep going. That's changing so fast. <laughs> I thought that uh, the audience score might be a little higher. I mean, 80% is obviously great. Yeah, but for some reason, like if if all critics give it a ninety, I would have expected the audience to be closer to ninety. Mm-hmm. But again, not a big deal. Eighty percent is still great. Yeah, that's what Cruz told himself after looking at that. It's, it's not a big deal. It's he, not doesn't, a big deal. he doesn't. Have you ever listened it's to his interviews? He doesn't do movies for money. He doesn't care at all. I and I believe well, him. He when doesn't he says need it. to make money. Yeah. He just does movies because he wants to do them, which yeah. is why he's making Jack Reacher too. Yeah, he's totally fine <laughs> just being poor. Oh wait, he doesn't need to make money because he's already a multimillionaire. He never no, did he, money. He never did anything for money. Did you listen to, listen to him on uh, on Inside the Actor Studio? All right. James Lipton is a good friend of his. I interviewed James Lipton recently about Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Is the greatest My, actor yeah. of all time. If you guys go to Black Hollywood Live on YouTube and you look up the, well, the, that the decent Lipton. Creative Arts Emmys, you can see interviews from that event. And I talked to Lipton about Cruise, and I was like, I was like, sir, I'm a huge fan of your show. Um, you know, I just recently actually watched the Tom Cruise episode, uh, which was anyway. He's like. That one was a beaut. Um, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I was so impressed with your ability to weave, you know, amusing anecdotes into to really hard-hitting questions. Um, what do you believe, what do you, what do you have to say to the notion that there are no, are no longer movie stars, that we're in a new era with no movies? And he goes, Tom Cruise, that's, that's my answer. That's Tom, my answer. Tom Cruise is my answer to that question. I was like, you and I have something in common. So and, yeah. and you popped a little male boner there, yeah. Which is pretty great. Um, <laughs> As opposed to a large female boner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just so used to saying lady boner. Right. What just happened, Rox? Snail oh. boner. <laughs> we'll just get into reviews and we'll act like that never happened. That guy, okay? gives, that guy gives me a male boner. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. So uh, Susan Stark from the Detroit. What is happening this week? Can we, can we actually change fist pump moment to male boner moment? <laughs> but little. It has to be a little male boner. boner. Little male boner? Yeah. That's very funny. I'm making a note of that. Keep talking. <laughs> I just drew one on my paper. Uh, Susan Stark, Detroit News. Cold and scattered. Minority Report commands interest almost solely as an exercise in gorgeous visuals. That's not vintage Spielberg, and that finally is minimally satisfying. Really? Yeah, it doesn't really seem... Like, cold and scattered, almost like analog to, like, chrome reflective and constantly moving, right? It's, like, almost the same thing. But what is your... Comp- like... It's not you even miss the harsh the point though. of the movie. Yeah. You know? Like, if what you're noticing about the movie is just, like, 
the production design essentially or like the set design yeah the costuming that means those guys did their job now let's actually talk about the movie I like the acting. I like the other the other one you wrote here, the fresh review from Anne from Washington Post, which Steven Spielberg creates a ghastly, frightening world. Minority Report, a world light or rather dark years ahead from the honeyed allegories and adventures he made earlier in his career. I think that's a great review. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that was yeah. one of my. There's a lot of very good reviews for this movie, and yeah. that was the one that hit home the most for me. Because of what we do here, I watch a, and because I'm interested, I watch a lot of YouTube reviews, and I saw somebody who spent ten minutes talking about the fact that this movie couldn't be a movie because it makes no sense that if he saw what he did in the future he never would have done it and then we never would have seen it so there wouldn't have been a movie and like looking into that so much that they were so pissed about the movie they couldn't even like get through it i think that is so ridiculous when people take this genre of film and they that's also a failed analysis of the movie because the only reason he even ends up where leo crow is is because he's running and he's running from getting caught for a murder he didn't commit yet. Because he, he found He would have out, never yeah. been in that position. He would have never been in that mall. He would have never been in that part of town. He would have never seen that skyscraper to where he would have gotten there. So it's, it's one of those things. And this movie, when we did research on this movie, there is more written about this movie than any movie we've ever done. Is that is true? shocking. Wow. Yes. Let's do it, yeah. There That's... are literally like 15 pages, if you were to print out, if not more, about just the theories that go behind this movie and like fate versus choice and right. like if he would have ever been in that position right. you know and it, it's all very fascinating and obviously we would like to talk about it a lot but I honestly think you guys should go and read about it because they do a better there's, job yeah there's too much there's too much I should take a second and just point out actually that on top of that we, when we were talking about the Philip K. Dick story and we were relating it I didn't read the story I'm assuming you didn't read the story we I read about read the, the story, story yes. um, as far as the history of this and any anything that has so same with The Matrix the mythology or the history or the relativity of the stuff we're talking about is not something that we are speaking on. So if you right. know more That's than not... we do, feel free to comment, tweet at us, and let us know. We're not trying to sit here like experts about that stuff. It's just not what the show's about. It just needs to be pointed out. Right. So It's fascinating, but that is not what we do here. Yes. Um, I do want to say, though, as far as the criticisms of this film go, there's one thing that you run into with science fiction, mm-hmm. left, right, and center. And mm-hmm. that is basically... The chicken or the egg nature of alternate universes, realities, or timelines. So the concept in time travel and the Terminator movies, if you were to go back in time to change the future, you would cease to exist. Um, Do you create a separate reality that splits off? I mean, there's all the theories that people talk about, and it's very difficult. You'll never find... You can't make sense of it. There's no mm-hmm. perfect way to make sense There's of it. There's no answer. Yeah, it's, it yeah. is a str- 100% chicken or the egg, and it will always be that way. So I do think that there's like that sense of you know destiny versus changed fate. The one thing that I have to say about this, though, and I thought about this right at the beginning of the movie, and Cruz almost answers the question in a later scene just before he kills Crow, mm-hmm. is he finds out he's going to kill someone, and he believes that he's innocent. Right? He believes that he's not going to do it. Right. But my question is, he says later in the film, I've spent six years imagining two things, what my son would look like now, what I recognize him, and what I would do to the man who took him. So he knows, he knows from the get-go, there's only one person he would willingly kill. Someone who had to do with the death of his son. Right. He knows this. So if he knows he killed somebody, why doesn't he put two and two together? My feeling is as soon as he realizes that he's going to kill someone, how does he not say to himself right away, What's the one thing that would make him kill someone? Right, but what, man how, how would that change? What would he do? He doesn't know who killed his son or who found him. Right, just because he doesn't know... I mean, he still doesn't know who the person is. It's just... I, I'm just, It's a tough ask of me as an audience member to sort of think that and then see him actualize that thought later. Right. Uh, well, I think that he kind of did. 
I think that even though we don't see that at all, the fact that he goes after this, knowing that he doesn't know who this man is, and then still deciding to go through all these steps to find this man, knows that he thinks that there's a legitimate reason he would kill him. Mm -hmm. I also think, though, and, and we talked about this when we were watching the film, I feel like if you're sitting there at your job, and this is your job, and you all of a sudden see you kill somebody... And you have two minutes to run what away. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know. Yeah, but you run away. Running. Do you run towards? I don't know. That's a weird, it's a weird move. I just think that he didn't have time to process it, mm. maybe. Yeah, The last you know? and the last thing critically, just when you talk about the person complaining about it, is that a lot of people have a problem with the ending of this movie. The last like 15 or 20 minutes, basically, from the moment that Cruz gets freed. Mm-hmm. From the moment that he gets freed up until the very ending. And the way it wraps up. And, the and eyeball? Like the Agatha scene on. Yeah. The run film, scene on. Yeah. Film scholar Mark Garrett Cooper, Feels Minority Report, em- emphasizes the future importance of the control over imagery. So basically, what he says in this is that one of the things that like logically raises another issue is that the same concern could be leveled towards image makers such as DreamWorks. And what he basically ends up saying with this, and, and I kind of agree, is that when the film ends mm-hmm. and Cruz is inside his apartment with his wife... And she's pregnant, and they're looking out, and they see just rain falling, and there's, yeah. like, no cameras. There's nothing mechanical moving. They don't feel like they're being watched any longer. And they cut to the scene with the twins in the cottage. It's essentially taking all the concepts. Uh, what does he say here? The No way to escape the, in, the immediate industry's omnipotence in the future, which mm-hmm. is kind of the general feel of the whole movie up until they dissolve pre-crime. Dissolving pre-crime is just one piece, and it feels like when they show the precogs out in the cabin, and they look very organic, and it's surrounded by a it feels lake. Like the end of like twenty-eight days later, it just, where they're just it, like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it feels like they essentially took this reality, this dark, dark, dark reality. They eliminated pre-crime, and they were like happily ever after. But that's mm-hmm. not. It, it feels like it's trying to sell you something that isn't really there for you to witness as you're watching the film. Well, it's true, and, and that's like it, it's very. It strays from the feel of the entire film exactly. and from the novel. I mean, the short story. Because the short story ends, it's not a good ending. It ends with him getting exiled to a place with his wife and him telling Whitworth essentially, like, watch out, it can happen to you at any moment. Anytime, yeah. You know? I also morally had a really hard time with the ending of this. Um, and I still don't know exactly how I feel, but even if all of the murders that they were trying to figure out, they, they didn't, the person wasn't going to kill them. Maybe they were sometimes, I think most mm. of the times. They still saved so many lives. Yeah. yeah. The fact that these three people, I understand they're going through hell every day, reliving, or however often it happens that there's murder, living it and living it. But I I don't know. I feel like the fact that we're taking them out of the scene completely, they're not helping at all anymore with this. A lot of people are going to die. Right. I I just had a hard time with it. I'm not saying that they should be stuck down there. And I know that gets kind of political because that's what what you can bring back to the real world. But I I did have a hard time with it. I know. It's not acknowledged, really. I had that same thought for a minute. But then I also, like, you see those stories about people that have spent the last 20 years on death row or that have been executed and then, like, DNA things come out or they proved innocent after so long. It's just the thought of someone being in prison for life for something that they didn't do and were never going to right. is just, it's, ins- it's just incredible yeah. to me. Right, but if there's only about 12 out of 
a few right. thousand. I'm not saying that that's Hard not to. meaningful. It's just yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. I think that basically, like, the, I, my biggest complaint is that the last 12, 15 minutes of the movie wraps up very quickly, and I can see that yeah. there's probably more movie they didn't show us, but that that to me felt a little bit slanted. But let's let's talk just quickly about the ultimate action scene. What do we think is the ultimate action scene? We have kind of a behind the scenes stunt video. We're going to roll here while we're talking. And this is just uh, one of them, which is his escape and you know riding around and like you know the jumping alleyway. off the. No, this is like a, where he's jumping off the car and he's like, you know, trying oh, to run on yeah, track yeah, yeah. and all this that. Is cool. This is cool, but it's just kind of the making of. It's mostly just done CGI, but it looks great. This is the first time he's like, everybody runs? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I love that line. That's a good line. It's a good, it's line. A good line. So what's the ultimate action scene? Is it is it the chase with the jetpacks? Is it this scene? Is it the fight in the... In, in the, the car uh, factory? The car factory. I mean, those are probably the three that come I'm to I'm going to call it the right? fight in the car factory because it's the only thing that was brought over from the original script. It was loved so much through every revision and kept. Yeah. And it's like a true action scene. You have like you have who you think is the bad guy and Tom Cruise the good guy squaring off in a hand to hand combat. Right. He he continues to use his expertise like he did with the jetpacks with that like boom rifle. Yeah. Which is awesome. Super awesome weapon. Yeah, the pulse rifle. Yeah, the six sticks and the pulse rifle are so cool in this movie. And the music in that scene too is ridiculous. I was gonna say when I said earlier the thing that is the most Spielberg y is the is the sort of like the visual design. The other part of it I think is that 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 sequence in particular with the six stick and the person vomiting and then like Going through the floor, yeah. the kids practicing a saxophone. That's so Steven Spielberg. Right, we were talking about that. We we're saying how, like, in action movies, like in action scenes, a lot of times it's like the whole rest of the world is kind of put on pause. Yeah, no one else is that affected by what's going on. But I like that about Spielberg. And even when later mm-hmm. on, when they're searching throughout the uh, the ghetto, essentially, and you, they have that overhead view of all yeah. the apartments, and mm, you people see, fighting, they yeah, stop. Yeah, there's like there's real life going on everywhere around this moment it's and like you need to be reminded of it it's like he's fascinated by the sort of minutia the idiosyncratic minutia of people's just day-to-day life mm-hmm. yeah and he likes to show that yeah i think it's really cool um yeah i mean i would guess if i was going to go with what i think is the ultimate action scene i think it is probably that one i think it's the jetpack the jetpack scene so yeah. not not the same one as mine i don't think so i right. don't feel like we have to pick because they go right after each other right. like i feel like it's from the moment he says that with, on the car and he's like everybody runs then the he gets his back against the wall the dog starts barking so he gets to leave um then he makes sure the guy has a good grip which was really cool moment yeah, then with moment. the jetpacks then the backflip and Colin Farrell trying to chase him like that all kind of was one chase scene um and then up until the point where he gets in the car at in the factory and zips away. Like, to me, that was one big scene. So yeah, I fair. think that is the ultimate action sure, sure, sequence. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, I got sure, sure, sure by Ben Bateman. That's a big deal. Oh. Um, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I didn't really... Uh, that's fair, that's fair. Sure, fair sure, sure. That's fair, fair, fair. If somebody called me out on that yet. Um, let's, what's our favorite line? What do we think? Favorite uh, favorite Ooh. line in the movie? What, uh, what do you guys got? I've got a line right here. I don't know who that was. I don't know. Why I don't know I why you did that. There's no characters. With- I'm very I enjoyed it. Embarrassed. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll stand so by that. It's okay. thank you. It was no. It was no uh, orange creature from Lilo sure, and Stitch. Sure, sure, sure. Just let me let me get here. Uh, so possession. It's when Colin Farrell he catches him in the elevator right when he's starting to run. Yeah. And he goes, possession alone will cost you six months. Let alone your badge. Looks like we won't be working together after all. Now put the gun down, John. I don't hear a red ball. And then the alarm goes off. Yeah. And there's this look in Colin Farrell's eyes of like, this is it. I'm going to die right now. Like, this is the moment that I die. Because it's perfect. It's timed yeah. perfectly. It's not even the line that's good. I mean, it, it builds it up. Yeah. But, like, when he delivers that ball, that part, I don't hear a red ball, and then the alarm goes off, and you see his face. Yeah. That's almost like a fist pump moment and my favorite line all at once. I was once. just going to say that. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one is, uh, 
It's when he's talking to the guy that he buys the drugs from in the beginning. No, no, don't take mine. You right, already had mind. one. No, she took mine earlier. <laughs> no, uh, no. It's I, like already... my daddy used to say. Oh, this is there. <laughs> in the land no, no, of the no, blind, no. the one-eyed man is king. Okay, okay, okay. All right, okay. Here's the thing. You can't have two. You can have uh, one, and that's mine, so you had a different one. But here's what I have to say about that line. It's really <laughs> cool, because in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And why that's relevant is later on, when he has to take the badge off, the patch off of one eye, and they yeah. scan it, and he's like, the, he's the one-eyed man. Yeah. It was very, very cool and foreshadowing. I mean, I love that line. I'm and so sad you didn't get to give it as your favorite line. I feel so bad. I, I see we've come full circle here. We have. It's I can, amazing I can see how that works. We've come full okay, circle. guys. <laughs> do you have another one, Socks, or is that a shoe? That was my line. What do you mean another one? I didn't know if you had another one you were working on. Um, okay. It was, a, it was a good effort, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have two. Um, but I think. Which one do I like better? I like when the guy says, Why would you want your eyes? And he's like. Because, he's like because my mother gave it to me. It's a great, it's a great so we line. we all love his eyes. We all love the, his the eyes. eye lines. Um, I love that his wife just has them later somehow. That's just great. The one eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He leaves it at the house. He, he probably did. Yeah. yeah, on accident probably. You know, because just like purpose. I carry mine around in a little ziploc baggie, and I drop it around like yeah. like my lunch bag. It's not gross at all. <laughs> and she like brings it with her to the gala before she knows she's going to have to save Cruz somehow. Well, she doesn't bring it to the gala. She takes it to the to to the. Different moments. Oh, yeah. it was our cut that I missed there. It's like yeah. a day, next day or something. Well, it's just later on after she freezes. No, him. she's sitting. Isn't she sitting there? Yeah. No, no, no. She's sitting there just before Lamar goes into his his whole like you know his moment or whatever. Well, right. I guess technically that is like in the back at the gala, isn't it? Isn't it? Or is a press conference, not a gala? That was the, that was the meeting at his house before the well, press conference, okay. and then there's the gala tonight. Yeah, yeah. And I also think she kind of was a little skeptical of him. Yeah, she's already going into this. Definitely. Can we talk about how this movie is just the fugitive made in the future? Can we talk about my other favorite line oh, first? Fine. Um, what is the deal with the lines? You said line, I had line, you had lines, you have lines. I have a line, and it's all mine. Pretty white purple over here too, so I gotta do two. And I want to shine, because that's the way things are fine. Uh, I'm gonna do another line here, guys. So it's it's uh, when Cruz in the opening scene is, uh, is is running around trying to save the day, and it's like, it's like culminating, and he doesn't know if the door's open, and... Um, Elena's like, she's like, we're catching up to the future, we're running out of time. He's like, shut up, Elena. Just because he's like, I just like because it's like such a, it's like a rude thing to say to the person that's working for you, but he's so focused. Right. He's so just in it that he's just like, he doesn't matter. Just be like, fuck off, Elena. I'm I'm doing my job right now. Right. Uh, That's awesome. Anyway. Um, did you want to say something, Rox? No, I really didn't. (laughs) So, fugitive thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is this real? You notice this? Yeah. A man wrongly framed. Yeah. He suspects it's his friend. That does it. Someone he works with. He's spotted on the train by someone that recognizes him by reading a newspaper that has his face on it. He cha- he cuts his hair and dyes it. Tom Cruise changes out his eyes to change his appearance. And lastly, they're both confronted. They both confront the villain of the movie at a gala, rep- like uh, toward that's for their honor. That is pretty darn good. That's good. That's really Boom! good. Boom. That's good. That should have been your thesis statement. And no, then you, and then you guys wouldn't have had the same no. one. Yes. Yes, yes, sir. Did you just realize that right now while you're thinking about it? Yeah, clearly. Uh, yeah. I no, no, I didn't. I thought about it earlier. Why did you use that as your thesis statement? That's because so much I liked better. my thesis statement. It's not any better. They're both of equal value. <laughs> because it's your thesis <laughs> statement, too. All right, let's uh, let's talk hero, villain, ranking, guys. So uh, we have a list I that we, love you. we like to reference now, and we've talked about this list forever. We it was, have it. It was the where do the heroes and the villains rank, and this time we can show the list. Now, Roxy... It's very far away uh, on the television up there for us, so it's we're going to have to just relay the information to you. Okay, I'm ready for it. Because it's not on the outline in front of us here. Um, but we're very good at our jobs. 
I don't find any part of this movie to, to rank. I was just going to say, now that we've built it all up with our hero villain rankings, they don't rank in this movie. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. And that, that's weird. It is. Like, it I is. don't think that anybody knows what Tom Cruise's name in this movie is after a month later from watching it. When we were watching yeah. the movie, before they say it, I was like, what's his name in the movie again? I was like, mm-hmm. Anderson? Anders? Yeah. yeah. Nope. So John, there's that. John. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so the, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. You guys can see our, our updated list, so if you guys are watching at home, you can see you know what we've done over the last few weeks. Last I'm going to have to watch at home then. Last week, the, That's right. last week, the Matrix uh, yielded some pretty incredible results. It, Absolutely. it put a hero and a villain into both of our top tens. In fact, mm-hmm. Agent Smith is my number four. It was a huge one. And breaking was, into the top five is tough. Yeah, he was my number five, wasn't he? I think I got a few five, and then Neil was and your Neil six. Was no, no, Neil was your five. I feel and like Smith there are ten six. people yes, in yes. both your top fives. No, it's right there. You can see it. Well, you can't, but actually, <laughs> if you go up um, and if you get up and walk over there. Uh, uh, anyway, that's your villain ranking. Yeah, not a, you know, <laughs> which is cool because it gives us more time to talk about our five recasts. Yeah, this is a good one, guys. So uh, recasts, the thing that we do every week, we take five roles in the film and we recast them. It's always weird when you do the ones from O two because you have to decide if you were remaking it today or if you wanted to go older. In this case, I think we would do modern day. So yeah. this is if the film were to be remade, not as a TV show um, today. Who would you put in the movie? Who would play the main roles? Um, I think we should start with the creepy doctor, Peter Stormare, Dr. Solomon Eddy. I like that that guy's in the movie for like five minutes, but his his role is yeah. so impactful. Mm-hmm. Well, and so the other one that we considered recasting, by the way, was uh, was the, the kid who's the caretaker. Because just, cause just the one line that he has uh, with Cruz, when the alarm goes off and he looks up at him, he's like, I like you, chief. You've always been nice to me. Yeah. I'll give you two minutes before I hit the alarm. Great line. It's one of the most memorable lines in the whole movie, I think. So and he's actually Wally in the TV show. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know same, that. He's the same character. Huh. Not well, doing a lot of work. I guess. Well, <laughs> that's a big that's a big deal. Fox. No, it's huge. Um, but uh, anyway, that's who we're going to start with. Uh, who wants to... Who wants to, I'll start. You know what? I always go, I always go that way. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you start? I'll jump in. I went with Jim Carrey. And the reason I did was because... He's fairly comic in this movie. He's kind of a weird, like... Very over the top. Kind of over the top. Like, yeah, he's having a lot of fun with the role. And one of the things about Carrie that I like so much is that when he plays a role straight, when he plays it totally straight, he's kind of that same weird and a little bit funny. But I think he would be terrifying if he just played this as, like, creepy old Jim Carrey. He's, like, straight, doesn't shave his beard or anything. And if they were to remake this movie today... It would totally be the kind of bit part where Jim Carrey played that role. I would be so satisfied with it. I wouldn't feel weird at all, like when Matt Damon showed up in Interstellar. I oh. hated that, right? Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, I I would just love to see Jim Carrey in this role. So that's my shout out to Jim Carrey and what he's going through right now. We're very sorry yeah, to hear about everything here. that's going on in your life. That is not. Yeah, that is not very happy. No, it's very sad. So our thoughts and prayers go out to you, my friend. Uh, I went with Charlito Copley. I love when that guy plays weird. He's so good. I think he'd be a great doctor. If you've seen him with like the long, stringy hair, he's an excellent weirdo. Mm-hmm. The comedic timing could be a <laughs> Really? <laughs> what comedic timing? Like, I, I just thought that this was the one part of the movie where I kind of giggled. He's a little funny. And he can do funny. You guys have seen District 9. You yeah. guys have seen the A-Team, right? I just like that I paused for a while and it you. It did, because <laughs> no, in the I car think... you're like, oh, that's great. And no, I was like, I yeah, I know okay. it is. I think it's okay. <clears throat> I think both of yours are okay. I think mine. I think mine crushes both of yours. Though. What do you got? <laughs> so I thought I thought a lot about this one, and I'm okay. gender swapping here, and I'm cutting the assistant because I didn't oh, need her, go. and I'm going with Helena Bonham Carter. 
who would have crushed this role. Okay, that's fair. What? I was expecting, like, drop mic, leave room, best recast of you all time. You can leave the room. <laughs> you don't think she would have been awesome? She's so weird and she would have been creepy and funny. I think it's good. And she would have been messing look, with his eyes and it would have been like a Tim Burton moment. Look, I didn't just give you a long pause where I sort of just shrugged my shoulders. Like, Andrew didn't even care. Did. <laughs> Andrew didn't even care. He's mad. I'm not Andrew. mad. I just don't think it's a great recast. <laughs> I think it was really good. It was I think, strong. No, I think uh, I think Marvel Movie News is a really good show. Let's, uh, I'm let's, done with you guys. I'm <laughs> never coming back. Don't don't lie on air. Everyone, we'll see you back real soon. Let's mm-hmm. move to Max von Sydow, uh, Lamar Burgess. Um I went with Brian Cranston because the the sort of I think Cranston's reaching a point now. Did if you, you move away from me? If you, if you make up Brian Cranston, like if you if you make him look a little older, he can play the older character well. And the really kind of intense and terrifying father figure that he played in Breaking Bad, constantly saying "son" when he was talking to Jesse, yeah, is I could totally. It's the same character you see here. The only difference is that Burgess is sort of physically weaker looking. He's like just a bit more frail. Yeah. And that's the only thing in Cranston's character. But I think you could make him that way if you wanted. If you like, if, if Cranston was to like do some kind of a starvation diet to really look oh, yeah. frail for the character, I think it could be kind of crazy and very scary. So I kind of cheated with mine because he was who Steven Spielberg originally wanted. But I've also wanted to use him since forever. Since X-Men 1 came out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sir Ian McKellen. He is phenomenal. He is frail and old. And I took Roxy. Yeah, but I have him back up because I figured one of you would take him. Okay, so good. I have him back up. Is it Patrick Stewart? No, but it almost, it almost was. That <laughs> is was it almost Wilford my backup. Grimley? No, but Ian McCallan is the person that would be the best choice for this. I agree. Is it Tom Wilkinson? Thank no, you. it's none of it's none of them. It goes a completely different direction. Christopher Plummer, Over Winfrey, go. Helena <laughs> <laughs> Bonham Carter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's John Voight, who I think would do a oh. really good job in this role yeah. too, but do something very different. He would do something very different, but I do think that Ian McCallan <laughs> would crush as well. Phoebe Line, Andrew gives me. Snakes don't eat people. I don't know. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think that's great. <laughs> I don't know. His accent in Anaconda is just... We is, just need to do a whole show on just him in Anaconda. Or Not just even the accents in general. Character studies. <laughs> Anaconda is a perfect gun machine. Um, Samantha Morton, who played Agatha. I, Roxy, I liked your recast there. I didn't just skip it. Sorry. It was mine. How did you know what I? How did you know what I did for Agatha? Oh no, no the one that we just did. Just, yeah, I just was because I talked over you. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't mean to. You know. Um, let's get to uh, Samantha Morton, who plays Agatha. I went with Rooney Mara, girl with the dragon tattoo. I almost did. Yeah, but I mean, these are a lot of good ones. It's a little bit of a cop out because she's a very pretty girl that played a really weird character recently. Mm-hmm. But you know, I still think it's good. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. Totally. Yeah. Pretty good. Rocks. Oh, um, I went with Shailene Woodley. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> this is absurd. I want her. I want to strip him from the records. I want to start this off. I want her gone. I want her out. the show. I need a producer in here immediately. I'm pretty glad that I went first on that one. But I, mine are typed, so you know. Um, I think that she is not big enough that it would be weird yet, but in a couple of years she might be big enough. Uh, I think that she would look just like so helpless and childlike. But why are you going like that? I'm we're very the same upset one. with you. Again, we, angry. We, we could have worked on this movie together. We did. We did work on this movie together. We were up at 5 a.m. Uh, and she's movie. so talented, and Fault in Our Stars proved that she has the range to do this, so. Uh, yep. Do you have a backup? Amelia Clark. It's good. my backup. Not today, Cubby C. Yeah, but she <laughs> would be like, I need to be in full clothes. Yeah. Right, yeah. She she doesn't she do nudity anymore? Yeah. Oh, well, she always had a body double, right? 
Um, no, she used to she not, and then she was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Which, by the way, no judgment. It sounded like I was judging her. She can do what <laughs> stupid, she wants. Stupid uh, doesn't want to be nude on camera. Roxy, the next time you do our show, would you mind doing it nude? Is that okay? <laughs> we, <laughs> we'll get you a body double. It's a, that's a <laughs> Maybe if you paid more respect to my recasting, you know? <laughs> Just her head on my body. If you guys want to see Roxy nude, go to Marvel Movie News. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about Colin Farrell as a recast. Um, I love mine, and this is just because I think that um, I think that Colin Farrell is kind of a fuck in this movie. Oh, I, think, I think we have the same one. Shia Buff? No, uh, I want Shia Buff. I just think he's just do it. Yeah, <laughs> like I I'm all in on Shia. Like I bought a lot of stuff in Shia Buff recently. Like I think that he's like. Did you say you bought a lot of stock in Shia Buff? Like in like stock and like investment. Like I believe in him. I think he's coming back around. I think Shia Buff's going to have like an Oscar winning performance, and he's going to blow everyone away. You think Fury was the turning point? I, I think Shia Buff's good, and I think I he's too. so crazy that I think people are like, ah, he's insane. But I think like he'll be in some movie where people are like, He would oh. do a good job Because he was looked at as like the new Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. like, back in the day, when he was like, on his way. On like, even Stevens? Then, no, after... <laughs> really? <laughs> you said back in the day. Show, and Holes? Oh, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, uh, I, th- I, I used to say that I thought Shia Buff was had, had cruisisms. Like, I thought he yeah. had the same kind of energy in a lot of ways. But he's kind of crazy. But I think he'd be great. It's Colin Farrell. <sighs> I'm going first. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm going to go first. I'm scared. I did Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, okay, good. I almost, but JGL, no. JGL, he's great. It's great. Uh, this is a good one. Um, I did Jeremy Renner. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. That is funny. I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> you cast him as the lead? I did. Yeah, I, I, like did. Your, I, did, I like Jeremy Renner for this role more than I like him as the lead, actually. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. I really appreciate <laughs> that. You guys are, I'm so glad you guys are having so much fun. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I cast Jeremy Renner. So <laughs> I hate this show. <laughs> All right, who did you cast for Cruz? Yeah, Michael Fassbender. Which and this is a great cast. I was actually going to originally write Fassbender because we use Fassbender as a villain so much on this show. I mean, he's probably he and Hardy, right? Hero and villain are the two most yeah, are two favorites. They're the ones that we yeah. recast everything with, but I've never used Fastbender as a hero, and this feels like the one of the few times I can think of where I would totally buy him as a hero. See, here's the thing about this recast that I think is really really interesting and, and why I think it's a difficult one. You're as Tom Cruise in this role, you're asked to blindly believe in an idealistic future that is morally wrong because you're keeping people chained up right. sort of against their will essentially. And his earnestness to believe in the cause sells it extremely well because Tom Cruise we talk about his aggressive sincerity right that's like what he has so that's what he has in space that he's best at it makes a lot of sense that he would be so good at this role and it's because of the Scientology thing because we've all seen him talk so intently about something that is so foreign to so many people um, or at least so many people like necessarily don't understand or you know whatever so to get someone who could do this with the same level of commitment and intensity is very hard. And that's why I think you need someone like Fassbender who's not just your normal sort of positive leading man, somebody yeah. that has a lot of intensity. Mm. It's true. that He's he's the first person that popped in my head. Great. But I've used him so many times I just didn't want to. But yeah. I've never used him as a hero. That's great. It's probably the best cast you've ever done. <laughs> and I thought of it first. I just didn't tell you. Exactly. I'm taking Fassbender. <laughs> Come up with a new one. <laughs> Who'd you do, Rox? I have two. I have who I really think would blow everybody away but the yeah. studios would never cast and then I have somebody that I think that they would cast and who would do a really good job sure. who I would want one. would be uh, Charlie Cox from Daredevil oh, okay. Okay. who yeah. I think would yeah, be amazing he's great I love him um, but I, he's just not big enough yet Yeah, and he wouldn't be able to sell this movie um, and then 
as long as he like de South pod and like was not as big as he is, I think that Jake Gyllenhaal would do Forrest a really Whitaker? good job. Oh. <laughs> yes, you love Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he is the most talented actor of our time. Really? Yeah. Right, let's not get into that conversation. Big fan. He's he's very good though. He's very good. Day Lou, go ahead. Day That's the first time I ever said that out loud. I guess I just said that. That's a big. That's a big claim. I think he is ridiculously good. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Because. All right, let's. Okay, I can't. Okay, let's let's move on. I just want to ask about like other actors and be like, really, you think he's better than this and this? But Do you guys? You could have him on Marvel movie news to talk about it. Yeah, he did that movie. We've made the joke six times anymore. Yeah, it's we got to stop it. You okay, stop. I'm gonna okay. cry. I'm gonna cry on air. <laughs> she's on DC movie news, guys. If you just tune into the show, we're just kidding. She's actually on Marvel movie news. Let's get into the last part of the show, which is. We just did the last part of the show. No, we, no. Which are the three categories? The three categories. We don't have to do Cage versus Cruise because Cruise is in this. Um, do but I have yeah. the last page? No, it <laughs> doesn't matter. It's you the, know what it is. You know, I need to go on the outline. Uh, He's like Ron Burgundy, guys. He can't do the show if he doesn't have something to read. There are three categories that action movies traditionally fit into, in our opinion. Those three categories are totally legitimate, totally ridiculous, and ridiculously legitimate. Totally legitimate would be characterized by The Fugitive, which is a movie that is not Die Hard because we don't agree on Die Hard anymore. Yeah. Movies that are totally real, great, strong, dramatically. They don't really ever veer off a cliff where you feel like it's kind of silly. Um, totally ridiculous are movies that completely fall off that cliff. Face Off and Con Air come to mind. And movies in the middle category, which is sort of the ideal one, legitimately ridiculous, or ridiculously legitimate, I think you can call it other one, are movies like The Rock or Point Break. Movies like Speed. You um, did great. What? You did do great. I was going to lend you because it, it's typed here. I was going to lend you mine, but y- you did well. I've done this 24 times, so. <laughs> About. 20, yeah. Around that. Um, Roughly. I don't want to go first. Okay. Rox is going to steal your answer. <laughs> ben, ben, you go. Um, this movie is totally legit. Totally legit. Okay. Yeah, fully. Okay. I can't see any way that I could poke holes in it. Like, it would be. There's no part of this movie I laugh at. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't think it's the middle category, and it's definitely not totally ridiculous. It's it's legit. Yeah, I think it's totally legitimate. Yeah, totally legitimate. Um, I think you could make an argument because of uh, the fact that you, we were talking about this could never happen and what mm-hmm. that means. But I think it's totally legitimate, and it is very political, and there's a lot of stuff that yeah. relates. So totally legitimate. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about how Homeland Security and post nine eleven how much yeah. this affected people when they watched Huge. this mm-hmm. movie. Probably a little too close to home was another yeah, reason that it was lot. wasn't remembered as fondly as it got True. It otherwise would have been. Hmm. Uh, I don't know why I'm having a hard time saying it's totally legitimate. I do believe it, but yeah. I feel like if I were to like. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is totally legitimate. That's definitely what I think, but for some reason I feel like it's leaning towards ridiculously legitimate. Mm. I don't know why, so I'm going to stick with totally legitimate. Because Cruz runs so much? Uh, he does run an, an exorbitant amount in this movie. <laughs> uh, no, it's totally legit. He's a talented runner. He's By the way, good. any of our fans that watch the show and just like love Tom Cruise as much as we do or realize how much passion we have for Tom Cruise, I mean, eventually we'll probably start just trying to contact his people to eventually try to get him on the show would be my guess. Ben like, would lose it. I would like I would lose my mind. But if anybody wants to start that process by just tweeting at Tom Cruise, they just think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, feel free to do it. Help Slice us out. Cheese for me, honestly. Um, and on top of doing that, yeah. guys, we are going to announce right now the winner of our fourth mug giveaway for the Action Movie Anatomy mugs, <laughs> and it is Mister Flurry Twenty Three. I think I wrote that correctly. I copied it down from iTunes. It's either Fury Twenty Three. How do we know it's a Mister? Or yeah. We don't. What if it's a person just likes McFlurry? Person, girl power. Twenty three, yeah. um, as well as JLF Plus, Scoops thirty five, and Hearst. We don't need to give you a specific shout out, Hearst. You know who you are. You know who you are. Um, you're the three folks that have won mugs. 
Um, so we haven't heard from any of you except for Hearst. Um, but the first two, JLF Plus and Scoops 35, left us wonderful reviews. And if you guys want to let us know any all, information. All of them left to, us wonderful yes, reviews. Yes, of course. Uh, any information to get you your mug when we have them, um, that would be helpful for us because we currently haven't heard from you. So How do I get a mug? Um, well, Roxy, you go you and fill out a review on iTunes. Go and rate and review the show on iTunes. And if we pick you out randomly, which we won't, because <laughs> you steal all my ideas. I'm going to sign it under a fake name, and then you're going to pick me in. Like I feel like this is getting uncomfortable. You guys should talk about this off camera. Are you uncomfortable? We feel, I feel great. <laughs> I love him. I love you. <laughs> um, all right. That's going to do it, guys. That's the show. That's Action Movie Anatomy. Episode, what, 23? 23, I believe. Episode 23. Where's going to go? That's a lot. Uh, Roxy, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having awesome. me back. I know we so all, guys, we joke around a lot. We're all friends here. Roxy is just the best. I really appreciate that. it. She's the best. Yeah. Roxy, where can the people find you? Uh, you guys can find me everywhere <laughs> at Roxy Stryer. <laughs> Okay, and, uh, and DC <laughs> movie news. Really, expecting a longer thing? Like you just have Roxy Stryer. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Guy. I'm recently at 76 <laughs> followers, going for that hundred quest for a hundred. It's coming along. It's coming along. Um, Ooh, your hundredth will get a mug. No, hundredth Twitter follower. Um, and you guys can find me. At, oh, by the way, I didn't even point this out. Twitter 23. You in your review, you mentioned Minority Report. You asked us to actually do it, which is it was a great review. And then it's also poignant that we picked you for today. So that's yeah. a new thing. Uh, you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Twitter probably mostly these days. And uh, I do AfterBuzz TV shows and Black Hollywood Live shows and shows here. A little show called Fear all, of the Walking Dead. If Fear of the Walking Dead. They're all related networks. They're all you know. You Instagram twice a day. What is Twitter more so these days? Well, I, I did two times the other day, but normally it's like twice a week. <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming and checking out the show. We'll see you soon. We'll we see you next you. week. Thank you so much. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.